Trek Geeks is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles, with over 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for Trek Geeks listeners. Fansets. Our pins have character. We are the Borg, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. You will listen. Resistance is futile. You must comply. Gravimetric gradient somewhere in the Delta Quadrant. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. By the way, the Star Trek Podcast Network for your fandom. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and this is episode number 209. Very excited to be here. Very excited to talk about a really fantastic episode of Voyager. And um, I get to do it with a guy I've done 208 other episodes with. As soon as I figure out how to shake him loose, I'm, there's just no telling how far this podcast is going to go. But for now, he's the co-host. He's, um, I'm sorry, what was your name again, sir? Uh, boss. No, no. Hi, I'm Dan. Hi, Hi Dan. 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 Have yeah. we met? It's Davidson. Dan Davidson. Yeah. Not ringing a bell. Yeah. No. no? Hey, right. buddy. <laughs> wow. It's not episode 209, Bill. It is. Come on. It's two hundred niner. No, it's not. I think uh, I think the feedback from Vegas says, says no, it's not. Absolutely, that's correct. How are you? It's good to be here. It's good to be here. This ep- this episode's going to go by fast, or is it? It's gonna it's gonna go by. It's gonna go. It's gonna go by kind of like in the I don't know, blink of an eye. <laughs> yes, we are in fact talking about. <laughs> one of uh, one of the best wow. Voyager episodes. I mean, and as I was doing my initial watch through to become a completist, um, this episode really stood out to me. I had never seen it before just a couple of months ago. And man, what a great, great episode. And I'm excited to talk about this today. It's funny that you say that because Susan and I watched it this weekend. And I have to admit, I don't think I had seen this episode since it originally aired. Oh, wow. It had been that long. And I didn't remember any of it. And I was floored by how awesome it was. It is such a Star Trek story. It is fantastic. It's got actors from Lost in it. I mean, it's got everything. So uh, it, I just thought it was I thought it was great. And I'm glad we're talking about it. Lost schmost. <laughs> That's not a real word, Bill. Yeah, I know. Believe me, he, I know. Lost isn't a real show. <laughs> Lost wow. sucks and so do you. <laughs> Oh, God, okay. Well, we're going to talk about Blink of an Eye. Other than that, no strong feelings about the matter. No, not at all. Um, I, I'm glad I don't confuse Wink of an Eye and Blink of an Eye, because that could be a real thing. Yes, and believe me, I have thought how many times as I was putting together my stuff that I wanted to talk about tonight, how many times I would screw up the title and call well, it Wink of an Eye. Well, let's take you to something that you screw up all the time here on Trek Geeks, and that's the contact information. Dan, how can people get in touch with us in as fast or as slow a manner as they choose? Wow, all right. Well, if you're looking to get in touch with us, uh, you can head on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, where you will find a plethora of ways to communicate with your two favorite geeks. Let's see. There's Skype chat. There's email. There's even voicemail via that big blue button using SpeakPipe. Whatever way you want to contact us, make it so, because we love hearing from you. Plus, there's also the most positive Star Trek group on Facebook, Camp Kittimer. It's our official group, and it's where over 1,600 friends gather to talk Trek. It's always positive and no bash 
or gate bash bash. See, I, <laughs> there it is. Damn it. <laughs> so no, no bashing or gatekeeping is ever allowed. Uh, to join the group, just head on over to facebook.com slash camp. Oh, I did it again. See, that's two. See, now I'm really on a roll. Facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to take part of a truly wonderful social experience. As always, we want to thank our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, Sarah, and Dan for the amazing job they do running the camp. And please remember, you're not going to screw it up as much as I am, so just send us what you want. We're going to play it possibly sometime in a future episode, whatever. Back to you. <laughs> that was horrible. That was That just made my night. Dan, before we get to the news, we want to remind everybody that Trek Geeks Live, our very first foray into live stage stuff, Occurs Sunday, April 26th at 8 p.m. at the Bank of New Hampshire stage in downtown Concord, New Hampshire. Tickets available at TrekGeeksLive.com or BankNHStage.com. It's going to be a great night. You and I are going to talk about, well, why Star Trek matters. Get nervous. You know, really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. I'm sure I'll be fine as soon as it starts, but yeah, I'm starting to get a little nervous. Will I be prepared enough? Will I be ready? Uh, you'll be, be prepared. Funny. You're going to be in your yeah, zone. Nice. You're just ah, people. Zone. You're going to be blathering on at the mouth. Uh, people <laughs> will get you to shut up. Wow. But um, no, first part, we're going to talk a little bit, a bit about uh, why Star Trek is so socially relevant. Uh, mm-hmm. The second part is going to be a live podcast recording of Trek Geeks, the mm-hmm. 10 most socially conscious episodes of Star Trek. And then we have a little something cooked up for after that. So it's going to be, it's going to be a great, great night. All to benefit the uh, the all volunteer five hundred one c three Granite State Dog Recovery, a favorite uh, organization of both yours and mine. Absolutely, any time that you have an organization that will spend the time and the money to help reunite lost pets with their family, it's a great cause. It's something that uh, we are both passionate about, and uh, I can't wait. It's going to be a great time. I'm I'm only half joking when I say I'm nervous. I think it's going to be great, and I am looking forward to it. And I'm also looking forward with seeing some old friends that we haven't seen in a long time because a lot of people are going to be there. Amen to that. So if you know people in the New England area or even, uh, I don't know, eastern New York who want to make the trip out to Concord, New Hampshire, um, tell them they're, they're going to go to a great live podcast recording and help some, some wonderful people trying to reunite families and dogs. So that's TrekGeeksLive.com. Get your tickets today. Dan, it's time for the news from TrekNews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. It's TrekNews.net. Did you just throw a Britney nope, in there? Nope, nope. It, it came close. No, Don't do it. Online at treknews.net. Um, yeah, I, I got to recover from that. That was I not expected. You yeah. think that after 208 episodes, I'd be used to this, but I'm not. Is anything expected with me, Bill? That's a great point. First up, Dan, as we celebrate <laughs> Voyager 25 all year long, as we're doing in this very episode, we are very, very happy to see that Voyager's getting some extra special love, which many friends of ours had a chance to be part of last week while sailing the seven seas. Oh, how we wish we could have been there, man. Yes, uh, Voyager 25 is in full swing, as you mentioned. And also in full swing is a new Voyager documentary, which was recently announced by filmmakers 455 Films, or 455 Films, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, you may have heard of this company before when it comes to Star Trek, as they were the production company behind For the Love of Spock, Chaos on the Bridge, and The Captains. Executive producer David Zappone recently uh, recently announced that the crew would be filming and interviewing guests who were on board Star Trek The Cruise last week. So we possibly may uh, be seeing some familiar faces when the doc is released later on in the future. Very cool. And uh, I have to say I'm, I'm so excited and happy for the news about this documentary, Bill. Uh, the ones we've seen recently, including what we left behind, were truly remarkable. And Voyager deserves this recognition so much. Without question, it does. It um, it is right up there in the pantheon of great Star Trek 
as all Star Trek is. And um, I am so glad that I finally got the chance to to finish the series. I'm really looking forward to this because I I am I want to hear what the fans have to say, mm-hmm. and I want to hear what the cast members have to say. After 25 years, you know, um, time gives you a lot of perspective, and I can't right. wait to hear what you know uh, what everybody from Kate Mulgrew all the way on down has to has to say about this experience. I really hope that the folks decide to do some kind of um, fundraising event because we were proud supporters of of what we left behind. So I'm sure if they do something, you and I will be right there to support this one as well. Absolutely. And, and here's hoping that they record even more at STLV. I think that would be fantastic if if that fits their schedule. We don't yeah. know. So yeah. uh, Also, Dan, continuing in news, it's been a while since we mentioned Star Trek Timelines, but there's actually kind of an interesting story regarding that game and the developers of it over at Disruptor Beam. Yeah, this one uh, was kind of a surprise. Uh, Tilting Point, which is a company that provides top mobile game developers with the marketing and publishing expertise needed to scale their live games for success, uh, recently announced that it has actually acquired Star Trek timelines from Disruptor Beam. It has also hired Disruptor Beam team members to create a new studio called Wicked Realm Games. Let's try that again. Wicked Realm Games run by former Disruptor Beam CTO David Chan. Timelines is one of the most successful Star Trek games in recent memory. It has over 8 million downloads and has earned, get this bill, over $100 million. Uh, The company has been working with Disruptor Beam on its success and felt that it was the right time to acquire it. Um, The good news is that with this acquisition, the number of staff working on the game will increase from 9 to 19. So with the change, Timelines is not going anywhere uh, because it has many bold ideas to take the game to the next level, said uh, the uh, people in the article. So very cool. Uh, I hope so. I'm going to be straight up about this. I don't think this is cool news. Um, I, at one point, that nine number of staff members was a lot higher. When you and oh, I were at Disruptor Beam, oh, absolutely. it was significantly higher. This, um, this doesn't sound like a success story. This sounds like a bailout. Uh, oh, and I uh, hope that I hope that this means that the game continues to grow, but I fear that it could result in steps backwards first. I don't I don't disagree. When I saw that number nine, I was like, wow, when we were there, there were yeah. like, what, 60 people working on it uh, at the time that we were there? A lot. Um, a lot. Maybe even more. So hearing that there were nine was was kind of interesting. I have not played it as much as I had in the past, but I have checked it out from time to time. It still is great. They've got great art, great stories, great sound effects and such, but... Uh, We'll see what happens. Um, you are right, though. Usually when a company is bought out by another company, sometimes that means bad things. But I'm going to be hopeful and hope that uh, things continue for timelines. I am, too. Now, also knowing that their Game of Thrones license uh, no longer exists, mm-hmm. I, I think that timelines is really the only thing that Disruptor Beam has going on. I could be wrong. But it's probably right. the only major license it has left. Yeah. Um, that probably is what the value of the company is at this point. And I think that Tilting Point is probably hoping to turn that into something more. Um, I, I'm just glad that the people who were, were at Disruptor Beam are still going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I hate to see anybody lose their job, but here's hoping that, uh, like I said, this is here's hoping this is better than a bailout, and that right. there's some actual growth that comes from this. Fingers crossed. And finally, Dan, as an avid reader, reader of Star Trek novels yourself, this latest story might have you a little concerned. Yeah, uh, I will say that I am a little concerned right now. Uh, nothing is definite, so we will see. Uh, It seems that the merger of Paramount and CBS could possibly affect the future of Star Trek novels. At a recent investors meeting, Viacom CBS CEO Bob Backrish stated that the company is looking to sell off Simon & Schuster, which is, of course, the publishing house behind hundreds of Star Trek titles. He stated, quote, Simon & Schuster is not a core asset. It's not video-based. It does not have significant connection for our broader business, end quote. Now, Simon & Schuster is estimated to be worth between $1 and $1.5 billion, uh, and it's unclear what will happen to Star Trek novels should it be sold off. Um, I'm in, I know there's no in, I have no insight as to, what, as to what these plans are for the future with Simon & Schuster. Simon? Simon & Schuster? Simon & Schuster. Um, but I, I wholeheartedly disagree with the assessment of, of, of what Mr. Backish said. Um, yep. The books are an integral part of the franchise to me. And doing anything that could jeopardize that additional outlet of Star Trek lore 
it's just it's something that I, I think would be a huge mistake. A huge mistake. Again, my humble opinion. You know how much I love Star Trek novels. It's not official canon, but it doesn't matter. It's part of the Star Trek franchise and love and adventures, and I, I hope nothing happens to it. I can think of at least half a dozen cable channels that are owned by Viacom CBS that don't add anything to Viacom CBS. Mm. Um, they could easily be shuttered, and I don't think people would miss them very much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Simon & Schuster is one of the largest publishers out there. And you're right, there's hundreds of Star Trek titles tied into this. Um, CBS owns entire divisions, or I should, pardon me, Viacom CBS owns tons of divisions that have nothing to do with video. Yeah. Um, uh, you would think that they would want to own a good chunk of publishing. Uh, it's, it's worked pretty well for, uh, for Warner um, with, with some of their various arms, but um, I guess time will tell. I can only hope that... Um, they stay away from this huge mistake because I too think that's the same way. Wow, lots of real talk from Trek Geeks in the news this week. I know, right? And, then, and on top of screwing up the words, we still have really good opinions about it. Well, yeah, because we're awesome. Well, then, of course, as we do every week, we want to spend some time talking about our amazing friends at Fansets. You know, we are so lucky to, to, to partner with them in, uh, in the Trek Geeks podcast network. And, you know, plenty of podcasts have sponsors and, and, you know, we do too. We're just incredibly fortunate that they have become like family to us. Um, their line of pins and accessories truly is unparalleled over at Fansets.com. Yeah, they, they really are. And, and this past uh, STLV, they released their um, Women of Star Trek uh, special collection, which I have proudly hanging on my wall behind me. And we want to actually remind everyone uh, of some incredibly big news that came out recently regarding the Women of Trek pin collection. Uh, Fansets is working very hard on the next batch of collector's pins for Women of Trek, as we talked about a few weeks ago. But we just want to tell everybody to keep your eyes open over at fansets.com in the coming months as the new glitterized pins, you know how much I love the glitterized pins, Bill, they're going to start beaming onto the site. Uh, next up in this collection will be Jadzia Dax, Nurse Chapel, Seven of Nine, Seven of Niner, uh, no. Hoshi Sato, and, <laughs> and Sylvia Tilly are next to be released. Um, the first pin is actually going to be Jadzia. People have been dying to have a Jadzia pin, so it's going to be available sometime in May, we're thinking. So uh, save your money, or better yet, you know what? Just start sending your paychecks right over to fansets.com. It's worth it. You know it. I know it. So just do it. Right, Bill? Right, Dan. And uh, <laughs> I'm calling a, a moratorium on the use of Niner, unless we're talking about... The Deep Space Niners. And that's oh, it. Oh, yes. That's it. That's okay. No more. I, I can go with that. Okay. All right. Yeah. Two and Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and Dan, about this whole paycheck thing. I don't right. know about sending your whole paycheck. Because right here on Trek Geek Day, we have a special discount code that's going to save you some of those hard-earned dollars. I mean, I know you don't right. work very hard, but I know no. that you want to keep as much of that money as possible. So... <laughs> Well, I don't know, Dan. Are you interested in receiving 15% off your entire order at fansets.com? Yes. I, and everyone is. I can tell you that. It is so easy to do. Head on over to fansets.com. Put a whole bunch of stuff into your cart. Pins, accessories, more pins, more accessories. Then at checkout, enter the exclusive discount code SKYSHIP. That's S-K-Y-S-H-I-P in all capital letters with no spaces. That code's going to get you 15% off everything you get at fansets.com. Now, this bonus code is going to be available until Wednesday, March 18th, 2020 at midnight Eastern Daylight Time. Fansets. Our pins have character. We thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of Trek Geeks. Well, Dan, here we are. We're going to talk about a fantastic episode of Star Trek Voyager as we continue our celebration of Voyager 25 all year long. And of course, I'm talking about Blink of an Eye, a fantastic high concept science fiction episode that just also happens to be Trek. You can like go crazy thinking about how it is from one perspective over the other in this episode and how time is so different. 
um, whether you're on the Voyager or whether you're on the planet. It's just, it's amazing. I got to give so much credit to the writing staff who thought this up. Now, of course, we talked about it in our outtake a little bit. You have Wink of an Eye from the original series, which kind of has a similar group of people that move too fast for the crew of the Enterprise to see, but this one takes it to such a different level, and and the story is is such true Star Trek. I love how you see things from the old Stone Age, so to speak, all the way up through the futuristic uh, launching of satellites and, and and starships or or spacecraft of their own at the end of the episode. Uh, it may come as a, a shock to you, or it may not, that this episode of Voyager, the story is by Michael Taylor, who also mm-hmm. wrote... Um, two of our favorite Deep Space Nine episodes, and in fact, two of the best Deep Space Nine episodes, The Visitor and In the Pale Moonlight. When I consider that, I am not shocked that this story is as great as it is. The, um, the script, of course, written by, or the teleplay by uh, Scott Miller and one of my perennial favorites, Joe Minoski. Oh, yes. Um, so you're right. The writing team does a fantastic job. Plus, you got Gabrielle Beaumont, who is no stranger to Star Trek, directing mm-hmm. this episode. And I think that the whole thing just sort of comes together magically. You've got great words on the page. You've got great director, you know, working with the cast. And then... I have to say this episode is cast perfectly, especially with the guest stars. Oh, absolutely. I, <laughs> you know I'm going to talk about Oh, that, God. So. <laughs> All right, get it over with. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't have to. You're That's not going to mention Hawaii Five O once. Gonna... I'm just going to point that out. No, not at all. I'm not going to mention it. Um, <laughs> but, all right. uh, but before we get into the guests, though, I do have to talk about one of the things. I want to get it out of the way first because it's this episode is a 10 out of 10 or it's a 9.99999 out of 10 for me. The one thing that was totally distracting for me, the very first scene in engineering that we have with Chicote and Bolana. I don't think Michael Westmore was the person who was on the clock the day that they put Bellana's makeup on or Roxanne's makeup on that day because you can see her line on her Klingon forehead so bad in that lighting and it totally distracted me for that entire scene. <laughs> well, thank goodness this episode isn't in HD then. Because <laughs> that, that would be horrible. That would look really bad. I'm going to round up your 9.999999 infinity to 10. I'm just going to call it right now. Okay. Um, All right. You know, what we have here is a, a really interesting study on the evolution of a society as it goes through the years. You figure, um, and I have, to, I have to reference this on Memory Alpha real quick. It looks like um, on the planet, um, one day is slightly more than a second long, which is really kind of fascinating. Was it, uh, was it, yeah, that's right. 1.03 yeah, seconds. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. In normal time, so three years on the planet would take about eighteen point nine minutes, according to the uh, the continuity section on, on Memory Alpha. Um, right. So a hundred years would pass in ten hours. That's it, it. Like I said, it's mind-boggling. And and you had that one scene where the doctor beamed down, and they were going to beam him right back up, but they they weren't able to, and they it took them about twenty minutes to find him and beam him up. And it had been uh, three years to, in, in his time on the planet. So that's freaky. Oh, and I want to know so much more about those three years on the planet. I mean, you know, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but I'm just so fascinated by that element because he wasn't gone very long, but he had a son. Yes. Can we, can we talk about that for a minute? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, photons be free. Uh, <laughs> just throwing that out there. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, I, now, of course, that could mean it could be adopted, foster, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm th- he was there long enough to build relationships yeah. and to experience more of his own humanity. And I feel like after this episode, that kind of gets you know, brushed aside and we never talk about it again. I really think, you know, we just talked about in the news uh, about the Star Trek novels. What an amazing novel that would be if they had some type of novel that talked about what the doctor experienced in that 20 minutes slash three years that he was on this planet um, having a child. He didn't even realize that he still had the prosthetic on his nose uh, yeah. when he beamed back up to the ship. Yeah, that would be a, that would be a, a hell of a story, I think. I, I think that would be amazing, you know, because it would start from him beaming out of the transporter room. Mm-hmm. And the last chapter would be when they get him back. And yeah. I, I think that there was just so much there to, to download from the doctor, no pun intended, that um, I, I really think that could have been its own story. 
this could have been a two-parter, honestly. And I think it still would have been just as amazing. Uh, Absolutely. One of the things I really appreciate about this episode is that it is... Uh, it, well, I have to say is the science about it. We've never seen a Star Trek episode like this. We've never seen a planet like this. We've never seen a situation like this. So the fact that we get to witness the evolution of this society over, God, what seems like thousands of years practically yeah. is, mm-hmm. is, is, is really kind of jaw dropping. I thought it was really a fresh take on, uh, on strange new worlds, if you will. Yeah, I, I agree. I think one of the things that was interesting is is we had seven of nine in the in the astrometrics lab, and and even though it's science fiction, the science that they were explaining to us as we were watching this episode of why it was occurring, and that that Voyager had actually become a third pole on the planet, which was why that these time differences were taking place. It was it was actually believable from a science fiction standpoint and made the episode that much more enjoyable for me because instead of like, oh my God, that just, that just wouldn't happen. That just doesn't make sense. The way that they explained it actually made it make sense and made me love it even more, especially with those great guest stars. You know, the techno babble was easy to understand and when Janeway yeah. sort of came in and, and made it really easy to understand that really was the key to the whole episode. I think you're right. You know, if they had just sort of tech the tech or science the science, I don't know if this episode would have seemed nearly as approachable. I think it would have right. been confusing, especially to two idiots like us. <laughs> well, one idiot. Anyway, um, one of the I know, things you, that I really... You're not that great. I know. I know. I'm not very bright. One of the things that I liked is, is Chakotay, and I would have liked to have seen this. I don't know if the technology back then uh, when this first aired was available, like we would be able to see it today on, on Discovery or Picard, but um, Chakotay wanted the probe to take pictures every 10 milliseconds, which I forget. I, I'm, math, is, math isn't hard, but right now I can't just do it off the top of my head as to how long 10 milliseconds is in the planet's time frame. But it would have been cool to see that evolution before our very eyes on the screen uh, on the bridge when they were watching uh, these pictures. Uh, they showed how you know buildings were were coming into focus and stuff like that. But I thought that was a really cool way to show the people on the starship and the watchers of the episode how the planet was evolving uh, so fast through the eyes of the Voyager crew. It made me wonder why they couldn't just video the whole thing. You know, instead of just a, pic- a picture every 10 milliseconds, why not just send it to live video to have the coolest time-lapse video ever? Right. <laughs> Maybe that's where Apple get it. Got it. Gets it. We'll get it. See? It's all futuristic. I, I don't know what to do with you right now. I just, I really don't. Um, I also appreciate a lot of the little details in this episode. So in the observatory, you know, the guys who look like they're they're using a 1930s telescope, yes. for God's sake. Mm-hmm. One of the things that they incorporate into the set were handles to hold on to for when the ground shaker Voyager yes. shook the ground. Mm-hmm. I thought that there were very interesting additions to the set along those lines that fit. Um, and I, when I saw that, I'm just I started smiling from ear to ear. It's like, yeah, they look like they're using an old timey radio, you know. Um, but here they are looking at a telescope, trying to see the sky ship, and the ground starts shaking. What do they do? They grab onto the handles. You know what that reminded me of you, when you just talked about when they talked uh, into the when the guy handed the the uh, the other guy the microphone. Yeah, yeah. It reminded me exactly of the microphone that Spock picks up um, in uh, was piece, it, of the, piece action. of the action. Bang bang! Brought to you by it, that. It looked exactly like that, and I gotta wonder if maybe it was the same type of prop and they did it on purpose. But uh, just those little things, uh, radio waves and stuff like that, and how it was so sp- and how they had to slow it down so many times in order to hear exactly what they were saying back on Voyager. Just brilliance, brilliance, I say. You know, one of the things that gets me about this episode. It, you had a problem with Polana's makeup. The one thing I have a, a tiny, it's the tiniest of problems. It's just how unrealistic Paris's approach to this all is. Because like, hey, why don't we just reach out to them? It's like, dude, you can't do that. You know you can't do that. Prime directive. Yeah. It's like he's forgotten. I, I get he was a prisoner. Come on. But he still <laughs> understands the prime directive. And he's on Janeway's <laughs> ship, for God's sake. Yeah. Um, it, it seems slightly unrealistic to me as a viewer, but I get it. Somebody had to say that. Why wouldn't it be Paris? 
I agree 100%. And, and you know, I have to no. wonder if maybe it was no. just a way for... Paris wasn't in the story very much. He didn't have much to do. So maybe that was his filler part of the episode that, you know, he's getting paid. They have to have him do something. Let's just have him do this, and then we won't worry about him the rest of the episode. I don't know. But you know why we didn't have to worry about him the rest of the episode? Why? Because we had guest star Daniel Day Kim, also known as uh, Jin Kwan from Lost. As Chen Ho Kelly from Hawaii Five-0. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Katana Retz uh, on this here episode, but yeah, he was he's pretty brilliant. I've been waiting to say that for a while. He was uh, Daniel Day Kim was fantastic in this episode. I mean, he's turned up a couple of times in in Star Trek. Um, turns up again in Enterprise, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, as a Mako. I think I think you're correct. Yes, yep. Um, but he, I think he really brought this part home. He brought the humanity of this part home, and you know what he delivered as Katana Retz was hope. You know, he was going there to touch the skyship, or at least to find out about it. Yeah. That wasn't part of the mission boarding it. But he hoped to bring something back to his people. And by the time he comes back at the end of the episode, you know, they're, they're helping Voyager. It tells me that this society not only has evolved, but they've become almost worthy of being in the Federation, yeah. in a sense, probably because of some of the knowledge he brought back. Yeah. And you got to wonder if, if that's another thing, if they were... If the Federation ever gets as far out as they were, would they become a Federation? Or where will they have been now? I mean, got to think how many more, oh my gosh, it would take 70 years to get out to the Gamma Quadrant or, or the Delta Quadrant. How, how many years, oh boy, 76 years times, oh, I'm not even going to try. Forget <laughs> about it. I'm, I'm, I need to take a nap now. Um, That'd be like 10,000 years or yeah. something. Oh my God. Um, you talked about when they went to... to to get close to the skyship, and then they decided to board it. A couple things about that that I want to bring up that I found a little yeah. interesting. It was very convenient for the way that they could kill off the other guest star so that she wouldn't have to have a lot of screen time so they could save it all for, for Dan. You know, I thought that was pretty cool. But um, I understand that the time difference caused them to look at the crew as if they were frozen in time. Don't you think that Voyager would have locks on the docking ports? so that they couldn't just have any old ship dock up and open the door and go start wandering around. I thought that was a little interesting. A little odd. Well, <laughs> because of the whole time-shifting thing, I mean, who knows? <laughs> you know, maybe it's some sort of automated system that automatically locks those things. Um, when the ship goes on alert, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I thought it was funny. May, we don't know that they, they, they didn't break in. They wouldn't do that. They're nice. As it was, he he sort of coned in the doors to engineering open. <laughs> yes, that's true. He's like, raw. <laughs> you know, and he just, he opens those things. So how do we know they didn't have some sort of, you know, t- device like Starfleet has? It helps them open the door when there's no power. And those were the moments, that moment and um, uh, one other moment in the episode reminded me so much of Wink of an Eye from TOS is... Everybody was frozen. Even Neelix pouring his coffee was frozen, which I thought was cool. And yeah. the part where they had to, where they listened to the recording and it was so sped up, it sounded like an insect and they had to slow it down so that they could listen to it. I I'm not going to lie. I love that. I thought that was great. Absolutely great. Uh, um, you know, you, we mentioned Paris doesn't do a whole lot in this episode. Really, there's a bunch of people who don't do a whole lot. Not in this a lot. Chakotay, yeah. Tuvok, yeah. Harry Kim. Mm-hmm. Really, seven or, seven or Nine doesn't do a great deal. She does some, but not a great deal. It's funny when when uh, when we were watching it this weekend, um, Naomi Wildman comes in, and I we we're watching, it and I said Sue, I said I don't know why, but I'm really liking what Seven is giving to this episode, even though all she's doing is reading sensors. I really thought for some reason what she was doing was really cool. Maybe it's because it was the whole explanation of the poles and the planet, and I just it just kind of stuck with me. I don't know why, because you're right. She really didn't have a lot to do but look down, tap a couple of keys, say Naomi Wildman, and then continue on doing her stuff. But I, I really appreciated what Seven did in this episode. As I watched this episode, again, for, for the purposes of, of doing the podcast, I found myself wondering if our ancestors as humans ever did something similar or ever thought something similar, you know, in their own societies, you know, let's say uh, in medieval times, they think that there was something up there and assume that there were sky friends. And I mean, outside of some kind of religion, did they think that, you know, there was something out there that was controlling, um, the planet, um, like aliens. I, don't doubt for a second. You all you have all the evidence of stuff like that that they might have. You have those the the um the big giant 
um, shapes in the fields. I forget where they're even located, but they're gigantic. That they're shapes of of whatever. You have the pyramids. You have the Easter Island statues. You have all these different things that point to the fact that people were possibly watching things up in the heavens. And that's where you have to stop, though, because is it was it more religion or was it more what we saw in this episode? Well, in, in reality, I, I think that this borders on religion I for think some so people. Um, uh, clearly, for for many, it doesn't. You know, the, the science wins out in the end, as it it would always in Star Trek. But you know, the the, the debate over what to do about the skyship, you know, leads to wars on the planet. You know, granted, it was over in a couple of weeks and they signed a treaty, but, you know, the the skyship looms large. And whether the Voyager crew intended for it or not, they have shaped the development mm-hmm. of the society. If you take a step back and think about it, can you imagine that being Kirk and Spock and crew? Yeah. Um, I think that this would, would have gone very differently with them and there would have been probably more direct involvement. Um, maybe to the planet's, you know, um, uh, detriment. I don't know. It's funny that you say... Uh, when you talk about the religion uh, versus non-religion aspect of it, because in my opinion, in the very beginning of the episode, before Voyager shows up, it is religion. They're doing sacrifices on that yes. slab, and they have a specific plant that they're going to that they're going to yep. offer to the gods. And then the skyship shows up, and it all changes from there. Um, they talk. The next time you see him, they've evolved, and and the guy who's like the leader is using a, a hot air balloon to bring a message up to the skyship. So it's clearly gone from religion to more of a science. And I think that's an interesting development in this episode, sort of along the lines of what our own humanity has been like. No, I, that's a really great point. I forgot about that. Um, it, it, it fascinates me how well-developed that culture was, even in the, uh, in the early stages. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to refer to it because I don't know what their time periods were. But, um, you know, there aren't any, you know, grunts or broken caveman <laughs> stereotype. Right. Um, they are, they are very well-spoken and well-developed, even at that phase, which really kind of blows my mind. Yeah. Now, maybe that's just the writing, but maybe that says that this species, this society, was had a, a predetermination or a predilection to these great advances. Oh, that's I, what this episode made me think about. I totally agree. Um, one of the things that I liked, which kind of goes along the same way, uh, the, to, to your to your point, it kind of relates to it. Is at the beginning of the episode, you had this one location with that rock, I don't know, uh, altar. I guess you could call it. Yeah. Every time we saw the development or or how far along that planet had become, it was the same spot, and that was always part of the set. It the stuff evolved around it. But you always had that same location with that same altar, not an altar anymore, just that slab of stones. But I like how they kept that in focus throughout the episode. I thought it was really cool, especially at the end when Daniel Day Kim is an old man. He's sitting at the same spot watching Voyager when it leaves. I just thought that was very poignant. You know, I I wish that that his character had even more screen time. That's why I wish this was almost a two-part episode. Yeah. Because I feel like that they could have very easily... Um, gotten e- mind even more from this that was just so great. But one of the things I really like is the the scene where uh, Rats and Janeway are talking, and you know it, they're talking about the child's prayer to Voyager. Mm-hmm. You know, as he sort of sings it or, or whatever, and uh, and Janeway says, you know, hopes that he's not disappointed in discovering that Voyager is just a ship. Yeah, and he has a line that just really just kind of makes me stop and take a step back. He's like, well, you know. How often does your very first dream come true? Right. And I really had to stop and think about that because as I think of, you know, the dreams I had as a kid or, you know, my very first dream, which I'm sure was space related, I'm thinking to myself, wow, he actually gets to realize that. He gets to touch that part of, of his life, of his childhood, of, of the things he aspired to mm-hmm. and know that everything he worked for was worth it. Yeah. And how many people get that? Yeah. I mean, in the real world. I mean, obviously, in, in, in stories, people get it all the time. But how many people actually get that? Not, n- not many at no, all. Not uh, at all. I thought it was very unique, the things that he got to experience. And we've seen things kind of like it in, um, in uh, episodes of TNG when you had the people that were cryogenically frozen and woken up 300 years. They have that. They're, they're in a new time. He experiences that in 
of uh, just hours because when he's going back to the planet, everybody thinks he's been dead for decades. Yeah. Um, and he's like, no, Orbital One, I'm coming in for a landing. And the person on the other end of that res- of that communication must be like, who is this crackpot? Um, but <laughs> he gets to come back. He gets to tell his story. And you see that evolution of what they do instead of the antimatter um, missiles that they're firing. It evolves into the ships that help pull Voyager out. So he's from the kid experiencing that first dream all the way up to saving the people that he met and became friends with. And as he said at the very end of the episode, it's like he was saying goodbye to an old friend, even though they only met a couple hours ago. You know, it's amazing to me, that whole scene where he's headed back to his planet reminds me of the opening of Buck Rogers after he gets defrosted by the Draconians and is headed back to Earth and like, well, yeah, he's just going to fly right through the shield and we'll have the the path through the, the Earth defense shield. And he's like, yeah, Houston, Lucky Buck is back. I'm like, they're like, who, who the hell is this? Who are you, crazy man? Right. And that's really what that kind of reminded me of. It kind of made me chuckle a little bit because <laughs> it was Daniel Day, Daniel Day Kim, but all I can picture was Gil Gerard. <laughs> Gil Gerard. Wow. <laughs> anyway, wrong, wrong podcast. Yeah. And now Ranger 3, a <laughs> Buck Rogers podcast coming to you summer 2029. 2029. All right. I'll put that on my yeah. calendar. From the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. <laughs> Very nice, very nice. Thank you, thank you. Uh, those outfits of Buck Rogers, oh my God. I was just going to it's it's so white funny. white spandex. It's yeah. so funny that you say that, because I was going to say those outfits that the astronauts wore, Katana Retz and, and his his companion who died, <laughs> those were hideous. Those were bad. Oh those you were they looked like They looked like sumo suits <laughs> that hadn't been inflated. That's exactly right. I was going to say that. Yeah. Uh, they were they were not not good. No, not at all. And I liked how he had the, the – he had the – what they did was they took the Enterprise E joystick that Riker uses in Insurrection and put it on their capsule so that he could steer the ship with it. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> is, is that true? I don't think so. I don't, uh, but you know what? It, it sounded it could like be. it was true, wasn't it? Well, because this episode came out in two thousand, and could've Insurrection been. was what ninety eight, something like that. I don't know. We're through running from these bastards. <laughs> yeah, I don't do it as well as you do. No, you don't. I'm, you really don't. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have to think that this whole experience is, oh, man. This is another one of those times I wish that episodic Star Trek let things affect the crew a little more after the fact. Mm-hmm. Because I could see this experience really affecting Janeway at a, at a very, very deep level. To think that her crew had this influence on this planet, would they have made the same advances if Voyager hadn't gotten stuck? Yeah, and, and you got to think, it's eons of... Eons. Eons of history that these people have... have develop their entire culture around this skyship so it, it it really is you could spend we could spend weeks talking about what could have been or what should have been actually use a way to put it um had voyager not been stuck in orbit and 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 the other one other question i have is if it was just a bright light in the sky and didn't cause the ground quakes or the ground shakes would anybody have cared on the planet Probably not. Yeah. They might have thought it was just another planet. Yeah. Until they developed their own, you know, and technology. How did, how did they determine that the skyship was causing the ground quakes? Did did they ever explain that their scientists figured that out, or was it just something that they guessed? Um, I, I honestly don't know. I know Voyager knew, but I don't know right. how they knew. Right. You know, the the ultimate irony here is that the only way Voyager could escape this was for that planet to develop to a point where they could tow them out of it. Yes. Yep. And I don't know if that qualifies as a predestination paradox or not, but uh, I know, I know. Tell me about it. But that really is the irony to this episode. And in finding themselves in a situation which the prime directive is supposed to help avoid, they have to completely and unwittingly alter the destiny of this world in order to escape. Yeah. And Janeway doesn't seem to have a problem asking for help from people that she's not supposed to be talking with in the first place because of the prime directive. Right. Right. Yeah. It's it's a convenience. (laughs) Well, I think there are plenty of times where she defends the prime directive and even Mm -hmm. upholds it. And in this case, you know, they, 
they tried not to interact. I, I suppose it doesn't matter at this point because as we were just talking about, their being there, even though they didn't want to be, helped determine the course of the entire history of that planet's population. So I guess yeah. at this point, asking somebody to help uh, for a few minutes, as it turns out in our time, I guess really isn't that big a deal. Yeah, probably true. Yeah. And um, uh, it, it's it just it, the irony of this situation just always fascinated me for the first time I saw the episode. Voyager wouldn't have gotten out of this if they hadn't accidentally altered the development of this planet yeah. to begin with. I mean, it was nobody's fault. I just thought but of, with, Yeah, go ahead. I just thought of something completely arbitrary, and you made me think of it. We've talked about Simon and Schuster tonight during the news, and we've talked about how the Doctor's story could be a whole novel in itself. I know that there have been novels that have come out over the last few years, the autobiography of James Kirk, the autobiography of Jean-Luc Picard, the autobiography of Spock is coming out sometime. It's been delayed like six times. Someday, I hope yeah. they do an autobiography of Catherine Janeway. And, oh, man, wouldn't it be amazing if they had a specific reference to this episode and how much it affected her as captain going forward? I agree with you 100%. Yeah, I think that would be fantastic. It would be interesting if... The you know if they did a book on the Doctor's time on this plan, if it were told in the first person by the Doctor, almost in log entries. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, wow, to dream, <laughs> to dream. Um, it, it's interesting to think that once Voyager leaves this place, um, this planet is going to develop far beyond the technology that exists today in Starfleet. Right. Um, that's really kind of mind blowing in itself too. It's like you know they they. It, it took them a long time to catch up, but before long, they're going to leapfrog everything. And isn't it interesting to think that maybe they could have gotten Voyager home faster? <laughs> yeah. Here's another one. Here's another, here's another mind bleepery. Yeah. What if the Borg showed up to try to assimilate this planet? What would have happened to them? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> that just popped into my head, and that's like, whoa, who would end up – what would happen with the, to the Borg – would that planet be able to get assimilated? And if not, what would happen to the Borg? And what if they did get assimilated? Oh my God! It's just I'm I'm gonna pass out in a second. Well, would the Borg have found a way to deal with the time thing? Yeah, I mean, they have the whole you know chronometric particles and yeah, they can use those tunnels that have those steel barriers in the in the frame. The girders. Oh my yeah. God! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't get me started on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, there's really not a whole lot to dislike about this episode. No, not because at all. it is I think it really is one of the most hopeful episodes of Voyager. I mean, Voyager is all about hope. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest about that. It's about the hope of getting home. It's about the hope to seeing your loved ones again, your family, and to become you know, to be back with Starfleet again. This Voyager is all uh, Voyager is all about seeing the the best parts of a terrible situation. And I think that this episode is a great microcosm of that because, you know, um I forgot it. Katana Retz. I was yes. like, I'm going to Katana Retz. Yep. Katana Retz. He, he embodies the hope that, that Voyager stands for, that mm -hmm. Starfleet stands for, you know, you hope that those ideals translate into some of the alien cultures they meet and it developed like nobody thought it would. And I, I think that's really one of the reasons why this, this episode resonates with me so much is because at the end it was about helping people. It was about friendship mm -hmm. and that's what I want my Star Trek to do. And you saw that, I've talked about it once already, you saw that in the final scene when, when Katana Retz is an old man looking up, watching Voyager leave, the look on his face, knowing that he helped, and, the, and, and his dream became a reality is what makes this episode so very special for me. It was just, it was just there's, you know, we, we sit here and talk all the time about how we love this about Trek, and this is great, and I use the words amazing and, and just masterful all the time. This is one of those ones that truly every one of those adjectives is accurate because it's one mm -hmm. of those stories that once you see it, and I'm going to be kind of a hypocrite because I couldn't remember it because I saw it so long. This isn't an episode that I, I'm going to forget for a long time. Now that I have so much more invested in Star Trek in my life than I did maybe at the time when it was on, this one is a special one. This is one of the top ones of Voyager, easily, if not one of the top Trek episodes that we've ever that we've ever seen, especially that we've ever talked about here on the podcast. So there it is, the last scene. Katana Retz is sitting on that hillside, you know, that is, has been so prevalent in the episode, mm -hmm. and he's looking off into the sky as Voyager just sort of fades off into existence and vanishes. 
do you think the rest of the planet lost its mind because the skyship was gone? <laughs> <laughs> well, there weren't going to be any more ground quakes. They could get rid of those handles off the telescopes. That we know of. Uh, well, yeah, well, but they know of too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But well, you're going to ruin it for everybody, Bill. No, but let's <laughs> say you're a kid looking up at the sky and you notice oh, yeah. the same thing. What does that do to your dream? Mm-hmm. You know, it, I, I just thought of that just now. I mean, if you got the same dream that Katana Retz had as a child and you're that child, what happens when you see that bright light that's been in the sky for as long as you've been alive all of a sudden go away? What about the generations of people that saw it and they're trying to talk to the new generations about this mystical skyship and they're like, what are you talking about? There's nothing up there. You're all, yeah. you're all full of garbage. I mean, you got to wonder if that's how some people are going to think. If, it's, if I can't see it, it didn't happen type of attitude. Right. Uh, and but yeah, the, I can I think the one that you describe is more um affecting that okay, I've had this here my whole life, now it's gone. Now what? Yeah. Yeah. It it's I found that this episode caused me to ask some really interesting questions that some Star Trek episodes just don't pose. Mm-hmm. I think that's the other reason why I'm excited by this episode because it it makes me use my brain a little differently. Yeah. It makes me consider more of the what if than some other episodes, and I think that's why I like it so much. I liked about it is that you had this this skyship, and and you know you don't know what these beings are. Other episodes of Star Trek in the past, they would have been considered gods, and they would have been prayed to. And and yeah. I like how that didn't happen. This culture did not make it a deity type of issue. They made it more of a unknown type of issue, an unknown. Uh, uh, reason why it's there and and an unknown civilization inside of it. And then created their own lore about it. Mm-hmm. You know, at one point there were toys. Toys, yeah. You yep. know, for the Sky Friends. Yep. Um, <laughs> can you shows. imagine that? I was going to say, can you imagine that animated series on Saturday mornings? Meanwhile, <laughs> up in the Skyship. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Skyships are not dangerous. <laughs> um, yeah, they are. Yeah, uh, speaking of deities, Dan. Hmm. If we did not pay homage to the deities that provide the music for Trek Geeks on a weekly basis, we would be horrible, horrible human beings. Well, you're a horrible human being. Uh I would join you at that level. (laughs) Uh, But, of course, five-year mission without whom Trek Geeks would sound a whole lot more like Dan Davidson, and the world just doesn't need that. (laughs) They are every last bit of music you hear on Trek Geeks. Plus, they have an amazing podcast on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network now. What? Oddly enough, Dan, it's called Five-Year Mission. What are you talking about? Five Year Mission, you've heard of them? The podcast? He, among other things, yes. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> they got good yeah. albums too, though, I gotta say. Fantastic. Year one, year two, year three. Did you know there's a year four? Yeah, and coming soon. Well, coming. I don't know when coming it's coming someday. You're five. Yeah, five, baby. Because there's five, five years in the mission. Yeah. Just throwing that out wow. there. But you can get all of those albums in your hot little hands. Go to fiveyearmission.net. Get them all. Listen to them all, and then download their podcast because it's some really great content, Dan, and we love those guys. We also love Spock's Brain and the Trouble with Triples. Those are two good albums, too, I got to say. Are. And they got some they good are. videos, too. There's one video where there's like 30 farks everywhere. I mean, how can you not lose when that happens? Am I right? Anyway. It's, be- it's 30 times better than, than one Dan. <laughs> well, of course. Anyway. So I'm watching my episodes the other day because I always do. Oh, God. And, dude, I got to say, that blasted crystalline entity showed up again. Remember that? And it wrecked havoc on the Enterprise, dude. You know, and there was a xenobiologist on board to seemingly help try and communicate with it. But her son was killed by the entity back on Omicron Theta, you know, when Data was there, too. And, And she had other plans. Oh, yes, she did. And when the crew was trying to communicate with it, she sent wave after wave of five-year mission music at it, which built up to the point where the entity just shattered. <laughs> Gone. A potentially amazing first contact moment was destroyed along with Kilamar's career and sanity. You know the episode, Bill. Silicon Avfarktar. Oh, God. At, at some at some point, do these get tolerable? They're so fun. Are they? <laughs> is that the word you? I think I think we have two very def, different definitions of the word fun. This is this is going to be a great one to see on Fark's Twitter. <laughs> you know. Anyway, Silicon Advarkar. 
Say that ten times. No, don't say it ten times fast, please. Damn. And of course, uh, yeah, it's really kind of sp- hard to springboard off of that when it was just so terrible. But don't forget, despite Dan's farcisms, you can support the Trek Geeks Podcast Network by subscribing to exclusive bonus content via Patreon. You can check out our T-shirt and our annual supporters pin designs for 2020, and even get raw, unedited audio of all of our podcasts, along with some other great perks. Dan, absolutely. And we want to take a moment right now to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for their support, and they include Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge. Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Sean Lynn, Shane Murray, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vic Rambat, Greg Rozier, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Ron Robel, Brooke Horton, Christina Werther, Jim McMahon, Luke Burnham, Eric Sakian, Lisa Tomlinson, and the gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. <laughs> I was a little more tame than I was expecting. Well, I'm uh, fluent in over six million forms of Conrad Hutchins. <laughs> Do you speak Bati? Oh, of course I do. It's like a second language to me, sir. <laughs> I couldn't pass that up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wow. Uh, we also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shasky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Leonel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Patrick Escudero, Sean O'Halloran, Peter Craig, Ben Russett, Ken Bird, Jamie Rogers, David Hood, Rachel Delaney, and the lovely and talented Jess Fashon. You, too, can become a producer on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks today for all the details. Well, Dan, this week we had one of Voyager's best. <laughs> so next week, let's balance it out and take a look at one of its worst, in my opinion. <laughs> you know what? I think a lot of people share that opinion with you, my friend. But if memory serves, I actually gave this one a see it when we discussed season two of Voyager. Yes, I think you were drunk. I must have been. Yes. The 25th anniversary celebration of Voyager continues next week as we discuss breaking the warp 10 barrier, Paris losing his tongue and Paris and Janeway making lizard babies. Yes, it is finally here next week. Next week. I'm weeping. What next week? Next week, we're going to deep dive into the highly scalable episode (laughs) Threshold. On Trek Geeks, flagship podcast of the Trek Geek Network. Um, yeah, this is going to kick off a, an occasional series we are going to do called Embracing the Suck. It's all about finding the the things to enjoy about episodes of Star Trek that may not be as universally loved. It's Star Trek. We're going to watch it all. But even in the worst of times, there's still something to take out of it. And I think that's what we're going to do with Threshold next week. Uh, I see. It's so easy to say. (laughs) It's going to be great. But I don't know if we're actually going to be able to do it. We'll see. Time will tell. (laughs) Of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, please, please check out the other podcasts on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. There's Discovering Trek, which is pretty okay. There's Polytrex. There's Five Year Mission, the podcast. There's Rewind. There's Picard Live. There's... On YouTube over there, there's uh, Trek Geeks Game Night and also Picard Live. Yeah. Picard Live in two places, plus more shows coming later in 2020. And, of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek's, you please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 209 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Tell them to clear Central Lake of all traffic, Bill. Coconut One is coming in for a landing. Coconut one. So, what does that look like as a ship? I mean, is it of wings or is it just a big coconut that flies through space? Just hit the stop button before I come over there and punch you. Uh, I will gladly do anything to get your voice to stop. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They are writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and discoveringtrek.com. Big bong. Big bong. <laughs> Wait, why are you crying? Was it because of my because of my mellifluous tones? No. Why? BBC America is playing Deep Space Nine, and the finale was on right before it came up. 
<laughs> I just love it so much. <laughs> I, I was just about to hang up on you. <laughs> I'm, I'm over it, though, now. Yeah, so Are you? You, you, do you? You look like you got that ugly cry face. No, wait, that's just your face in general. Wow. Sorry. I walked right into that rake again. Dude, it's been 25 years. Must, you haven't learned this yet. I must like work in a rake factory. I don't get it. <laughs> or, I, you, know, you know the sign they have on the wall that says the number of days since the last accident? Yeah. When you're there, it's always zero. Well, maybe it's because a, you always step on that garden rake like you would. It's a rake factory. I did one early or late, depending on when you're listening to this. I'm deleting this this recording. <laughs> oh, there's nothing like fun outtakes, and this have is you, fun. Have you heard the latest issue? Uh, issue the issue. latest episode of Five Year Mission with the, the kids? podcast yet? I have yeah. not listened to it yet, but I've been reading a lot about it. People will love I, it. Uh, I started it today, and I made the joke earlier in the week that it's. I'm glad that Five Year Mission has guests that actually make sense. <laughs> Um, or at least people on the microphone who make sense. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, they make more sense than we do. <laughs> oh, that's not... This bottle cap I have at my desk makes more sense than we do. Speak for yourself. I'm speaking for both of us. We're team team members. Now, when it comes to that bottle cap, we're no, not. No, I'm telling you what, right now, you and me were like two peas in a pod. Two, swings, getting... two swings on a set. What? I have no idea. Two swings on a set? Swing set. Oh no! I understood. It was just terrible. <laughs> that was very bad. Yeah, this stuff just pops into my head, like bleh, and I just have to say it. Bleh. Yeah, no, I've noticed. Believe me, <laughs> doesn't take a genius to figure this out. I get that from my dad, because dad will just say stuff to make, and it sounds like he knows exactly what he's talking about. But Chris and I just look at each other and do a fake vomit. We go bleh, because he's just spewing BS. Yeah, there you go, dad. Yeah, it's good to know that didn't skip a generation. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. Yeah. No, everything I say is 100% accurate and true. What? Huh? You you awake? Come on now. Oh, no, I'm awake. I simply couldn't believe my ears. (laughs) Very good. See, we're able to throw references in, even when you're not trying. See how easy I make it for you? Yeah, no, no. How easy you make it for me? If I get the slightest word wrong, you're like, "That's not the quote." Well, that's why you. Hey, I'm sorry. When it comes to quotes, don't screw it up because then it's not a quote, right? Well, I never see. But here's the thing: I never say I'm quoting anything. Doesn't matter. You always just come in and correct me. It's like, nope, that's not what it is. I'm like, I don't, I don't care. I'm saying it this way on purpose. I'm just. I don't want you to embarrass yourself in front of other people. I'm trying to help you because I care. <clears throat> Sorry, I had something in my throat. You don't want me to embarrass myself. I've been doing a podcast with you for five damn years. <laughs> I, will, I will give you one thing. You're good with the comebacks, i got to say. It's one of the things I hate about you the most. <laughs> so for years, I would say I, was, I started when I was 16. I was the court jester at a madrigal dinner theater in Guilford, New Hampshire. And it took place at the, uh, the Methodist church in town, sort of in their big function hall. And it was, a, it, was, it was not a high-budget affair, but it was, it was something that people look forward to the first weekend in December every year. And essentially, I got to be an insult comic at 16 years old for an entire weekend. I got to do nothing but pick on people and essentially make your face jokes wow. without saying your face. Um, it was one of the most fun weekends I had for a good four or five-year run. Did you have I the did it. Did you have the hat that had like the double points and everything? Oh yeah. Oh my god. I had awesome. a kabonger too, which is the the, the little shape. tiny staff the Joker has. Yep. yep. A kabonger, is that what it's called? Yep. Huh. I um and it was it was a blast. It was not great theater, but it was fun theater. That's cool. Um but yeah, that's uh yeah, I had to be quick or um or I wasn't going to be adjusted. You like the Don long. Rickles of Guilford, New Hampshire. You know, it's and it's not. It's kind of alarming at sixteen that that's the skill I had, but it's translated so well into Trekkies. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when Mr. Rickles showed up at our place of employment all those years ago. Oh my God! We were on the phone with customers, and he's sitting there like insulting us. <laughs> not only us, but customers. Yes. He took the phone out of one rep's hand and said, "Your money's all gone, you hockey puck," <laughs> and. I, apparently that customer was not happy. Oh, that's because he's... You call an investment firm, the last thing you want to do is have some jerk yelling to the phone, your money's all gone. Yeah. 
and get awesome. called a hogger. That probably happened a lot this past week, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I have not looked at my four one. I'm not I'm going, going to. to no, nope. because I'm just I'm going to cry. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at you and crying, so I guess we're even. Yeah, no, you're crying because you watched Deep Space Nine. You that that is true. I did watch Deep Space Nine. I can't even say it. Deep Space Nine. <laughs> Miles found that thing on the floor. Oh my god! And oh my god, it was so beautiful. It's the music. You don't. You know what you could do? You could black out the screen and just play that scene's <laughs> music, and that's exactly what I'll be doing. <laughs> yep. I won't oh, look at so awesome. uh, I'm sorry. I'm having a moment. <laughs> 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 that's pretty much what I was doing. That's pretty much, yeah. Uh, that just means I love it. That's all. Anyway. Yeah, it's uh, snot bubbles and all. It was oh, beautiful. It was, they were great big ones. Yeah. It's like I ate eaten a six pack of bubble yum. <laughs> <laughs> or Big League Chew. <laughs> I would say Big League Chew. Yeah. Hey, um, <laughs> wow, I really don't have anything to follow that up with. I'm, I'm um, done as well, actually. No, <laughs> oh, thank you. Good night. Thank you, Cleveland. <laughs> I don't know if we have anybody listening from Cleveland, but... Well, Cleveland rocks. No. no. You ever been to Cleveland? Nope. <laughs> I am here to tell you, it does not rock. That was Shatner-esque in every way. It doesn't rock, then. All right. Well, it's got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, so it's kind of weird. It doesn't rock. Uh, yeah. Every now and then, a blind squirrel gets a nut, all right? No. Okay. You ready to, uh, you ready to do this there, uh, that means. Drew Carey? Yeah. <laughs> do, I, do I look like you, Carrie? Also from Cleveland. I'm that, just throwing out references. Well, I was thinking so since the show was it. Did you want me to say Cincinnati? I forget what show he was on. No, that's, <laughs> he was on the Drew Carey show. <laughs> Sorry, uh, uh, I could have called you the Cleveland Browns. Oh boy, no, that's okay. So insulting. just count your lucky stars. All right, I will. All right, here we go. <laughs>